Hello, everyone. I'm Kevin Winder, and thanks for tuning in to another podcast of Beyond Everything Radio. And as always, I have a question for you. If I offered a counterintuitive solution to solve every problem in your marriage, would you begin applying it today? (laughs) When you hear what it is, you may change your mind. In today's podcast and post, we continue our series entitled A Marriage Tune-Up with a metaphor of cancer in our bodies and how such a small change can completely take us over. Join me now as we see beyond our world's elaborate solutions to our big problems and consider how a true love transforms all of our marital strife. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for coming back to another podcast of Beyond Everything Radio. I am your host. My name is Kevin Winder. I'm so glad to have you here. I know that many of you are tuning in to this new series on marriage. I want to say thank you and welcome. I'm super glad you're here. I know it's not by accident. Uh, You may have lost a bet, but you're still here on purpose. And uh, I want to invite you to really give yourself to this process. Go back and listen to other episodes that you may have missed. There's always something building here in a series like this. And I'm getting at root causes. And today we're going to talk uh, in our series, The Marriage Tune-Up, a little bit about all of that marital strife. And just as a way of introduction, I was going to list the top five problems in marriage. And then I had to weed it down to the top three. And even the top three, I had well over 2,000 words that I had written down, which would have been an hour podcast. And then I had to just kind of pull back, regroup, and really think about what it is that's behind all of our marital strife. And so I figured it out. And I'm going to offer you the single heading under which all of our marital problems come and a solution uh, by which you can apply today to uh, start transforming and healing those broken parts of your marriage. But like I said in the introduction, I don't think a lot of us are probably going to do it. And usually the reason is that it seems a little bit too simplistic. But we're going to get into all of that. And so I really want you to give yourself to this process, do a little self-reflection, be in a place to not push back and resist, uh, but try and be open. Be ready to hear something new. I mean, what are your options? You might as well hear what I have to say, right? What could hurt? So let's get started. It's marriage tune-up number four. I call it Healing Relationship Cancers, and it's podcast number 416. So I'm going to begin today with a verse out of the book of Proverbs, okay? It's chapter 17, verse 14. It says, the beginning of strife is like the letting out of water. So quit before the quarrel breaks out. That is so insightful. I I just love that verse. It's really kind of the heading under which we're kind of going at. In other words, like if you're if you have a dam, if you have a, a little area where you've kind of held up the, the water, so to speak, and you start to kind of break through the top layer of it, the pressure in the dam pushes through and it starts to 
break the whole thing down. And the advice here is that that's a metaphor for how relationships and strife and quarrels break down. And it's just telling you, just quit. Quit before that happens. It's great wisdom. It's too bad we don't always follow it. But why don't we follow it? You see, this opens up a perspective on how we can heal our relationship. And so let me start with this metaphor about cancer, which I alluded to in the introduction. Now, many of you know that I work in the biotech industry. This is not my job. I do not get paid to produce this content and give it away. I do so because it's in my heart to do. I have a job like every one of you. And as a result, I have been in the area of the biotech world focusing on human genetics and cancer diagnostics. And I work with scientists and sales professionals and business people and genetic counselors and doctors and surgeons. And it's, it's a great environment. And I can just tell you that in the world of cancer, tiny little genetic changes, these are base pairs of amino acids, these little tiny substitutions that are happening at the smallest little level on one little part of a gene, which is out of 30,000 genes in a single genome, which is found in the nucleus of a cell, right? We're talking about the tiniest little change can turn into cancer and death. And this is the metaphor for the tiny changes which cause big problems in our marriage. Yes, our marriages are full of tiny mutations which grow up to be big problems. They feel way bigger than they are. And that, my friends, is the single point under which every problem in your marriage exists. No, it doesn't just come back to money. It's not sex. It's not communication. All those are important and they are common. But the main thing, the main assumption is that youth and I think our problems are actually bigger than they are. And my premise in this series has been so far that there are very few true marriages because we just don't understand ourselves. We think we know ourselves, but we really don't. We think we know what we want, but we really don't. And we also do not know what love is. And most of us don't know how to love. And this is simply a tumor. It's essentially a tumor. It's that area in our life where we act in unloving ways. It's where our pain has not been touched by love. So tumors and love grow for the exact same reason in our marriage. They want to take us completely over. Now, cancer is a simply, it's just a simple normal cell. Some people think cancer is like your cells are rotting, uh, but that's not true. (laughs) I understand how it feels that way. Uh, But it's just a normal cell that had a tiny little change in the coding part of the DNA. And it either takes the brakes of the cell off, which means the ability for the brake to stop dividing, um, or it turns on the accelerator pedal, which causes the cell to divide. 
So, you know, it's either a tumor suppressor, it's an oncogenic driver. That's the way we like to say it. But cancer is just a tiny change that loses the cell's ability to stop dividing. Right? So it just, it's constantly dividing. Cancer is a cell that's just constantly dividing. It's, it's a living division. And I started this series with the living divorce. And hopefully now we can kind of understand, if we understand what cancer is at a genetic level, we can treat it at a genetic level. And that's what targeted therapies and are doing these days. Uh, and, and I'd like to offer the same kind of thing for your marriage and my marriage. Uh, it's a targeted therapy. It has to go to that small little area, a tiny little compound that's in the pathway that works on the mechanism of the cell. And that's what love does. Love is a tiny little change that grows exponentially where we regain our ability to know ourselves, to love ourselves and others. That is what love does. It starts inside out. Love's not an expression. It's not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It's nothing that our rom-com movies or country music have told us it is. So we wrongly think our problems are big because they feel big. The tension you feel in a marital strife or an issue that just doesn't seem to be going away feels huge because it's emotionally painful. And as a result, we go around looking for big solutions. And of course, the world offers big and elaborate contraptions and psychology gives you long and prolonged extended therapies of decoding your history and your past and drudging up all kinds of stuff that seems unrelated, but somehow they assure you it is. And it sends us down the wrong road. And this is why many of you might be listening to me and saying, Kevin, what you're going to offer, I just can tell already it's way too simple, at least for my situation. Mine is, you don't understand my situation. Let me tell you, I do. <laughs> I counsel so many people who are in marriages and I've lived through it. And trust me, if you're on the other side and you ever call me and we want to talk about your marriage and you want to hear how this kind of fleshes out, I'm so annoying. I am ridiculously annoying how often I am driving our consideration back to love. Love is an act of the will, a selfless act of the will, and that's our recipe for today. But it's really common for us to just dismiss this or skim over the tiny part. See, if you understand how one tiny change in a cell can bring death, then you can understand how learning to love can heal every expression of relationship dysfunction. There isn't any of them that are off the table. I'm not exaggerating here, but, but I know how it sounds simplistic. So especially if you're suffering, you're, when you're in it, it feels like the problem is massive. It's distracting. It disorients your whole day. It brings so much pain. It ruins so much of your life. It, it, it feels massive. But the solution is not. So I did some research, and these are the top 10 uh, common problems that are found in marriages. Okay, Number one, poor communication. Number two, lack of intimacy. Three, infidelity. 
Four, jealousy, no wonder. Uh, five is boredom. Six, disrespecting uh, one another. Seven, boundaries. That's a good psychological one. I love that. Eight is stress. Of course, every, every family deals with stress. Nine is differences in values. Like people just don't share values. Why you're married if you have differing values is beyond me. Um, and 10, money. I thought money would be up on top. Uh, how about you? What do you think about that? Now, I looked at the Marriage Foundation, which is a website. Uh, they say these are the three, really the top three things. Everything kind of fits into these three. And one is over-familiarity. Like you're, you spend way too much time with each other. And man, I'll tell you, my BS detector is so far in the red zone, it's about to break off like that little gauge in the Grinch who stole Christmas when he measured the size of his heart. Number two, they came up with is poor communication. Of course, that's always it. And what is poor communication? It's the inability to know yourself and to know your others, right? Or even care. Uh, and then three is a business deal mindset, right? It's a negotiation. It's a contract. It's not, it's not a loving thing. Of course, that is toxic. Now, did your, did your pain make it on the list? Did the problem in your marriage show up here? I mean, would it help if I added uh, your spouse's addiction? You know, wh what about couples in different stages of life? If I added that, would, would it be complete? What about your spouse who wants to move to another state and you, or they're homesick and you, you don't want to move? And there's a constant strife over something like that. What about you're married to the overspender? What about the extended family? I'm sure you've got problems with in-laws, right? Everybody does. Is that true? What about the checked out spouse? The one that's just kind of disengaged or doesn't care or is apathetic. What about the shopper, the hoarder, the quick-tempered, the angry, the violent, the condescending, the sarcastic, or the cold-hearted bastard? Which, by the way, is a term my wife coined specifically for me early in our marriage. And so can I just say none of these can withstand love. Love dissolves every single one of them. And if you are pushing against that, it's because you don't realize how love is capable of doing that kind of work. Like how can you say that love dissolves all that, Kevin. I've been in a marriage and I love my husband or my wife and they've had this problem that's gone on for years and I've tried to love them and it doesn't help. How does love do that? Well, let me let me try and give you the tools you need to, to restructure this in your life. You see, our marriages function like a mirror. And they reveal those parts where we need each other's help to heal and to grow. Like our world likes to think we can go and do this on our, on our own. And the goal of being single is to find yourself and heal yourself and, and become self-identified and, and independent and strong and mature and self-reliant. And that's the healthiest you can be. And then you get married if you want a healthy marriage, and it's BS. The Bible says a marriage 
is a foundation. It's, it's not the end of a journey like modern people seem to think it is. Marriage is the beginning of the journey. It's the foundation of being one flesh, right? This is where one flesh is that you are not an independent. You're interdependent. You are a like opposite, right? We, we are interdependent. We, we're like each other, but we're also different. And that allows us to help each other become more. And the unit that you are is more than the individual. Now, we grow in love through vulnerability, or what the Bible calls being naked and unashamed. Instead of hiding our undesirable parts, our unbearable weaknesses, our sins, our failures, our pain, we just hide behind fig leaves. We pretend it doesn't exist. We hide it from our spouse. We, We keep that charade going that we started when we first started dating. We keep it up as long as we can, or we keep trying to convince themselves or convincing ourselves that those things are not problems for us. But see, instead of hiding all of those things, in a true marriage, we receive them from our beloved and we bear those burdens. This is what I meant last week when I said, the problem isn't your spouse. Like, because your spouse doesn't have a problem that you don't have. There isn't a their problem. There isn't the other person. It's only us. So their pain is your pain. Their problem is your problem. And so when pain is known, when it's shared, grace prevents that pain from transmission. And the marriage grows into the safest possible place where our pain can be transformed into expanding love. And all those problems that you think need to be eradicated before you can grow are actually the stepping stones upon which your marriage grows. This is why the world has it so backwards. They think you have to fix it before you can have a healthy marriage. And a healthy marriage is built upon them. It's not that a marriage, a healthy marriage is, is somehow devoid of problems. A healthy marriage is one that learns how to grow because of them. See, instead of being offended by the other, these unredeemed parts of our beloved become beautiful and necessary for our own completion and for the expansion of love in our marriage. Like, it's something that's just completely blind and missed by our culture. And maybe what I'm saying sounds new to you. And if it does, then, you know, this, no wonder it sounded so simplistic. It's, it's simplistic in its structure. Its application is anything but simple because there's a hard thing that has to happen for it to actually work. But the point is that this is unimaginable to our backward world whose propaganda has been lying to us. It's been telling us that you can get further in life on your own than you can in a marriage. That's why marriages are seen as prisons. Their marriages are seen as traps. They they seem as things that are going to slow you down, that are going to rob you of your independence and power and freedom and autonomy and agency in the world. It's all BS, folks. It's a big lie, and it's not true. You actually get far further in a marriage than you ever did. As a single, this is why the married life produces 
a higher caliber of person in a healthy marriage. You simply have somebody to help grow through stuff. That was always the case. That was always the assumption. That's why you would loan money to a married couple more easily than a single person. But our world has forgotten about all of that. And so if we dismiss sacrificial love, which is what I'm describing, we actually don't escape sacrificing. That's the point I want to make today. Like I know that what I'm going to offer is that self-dying sacrificial love is really, really untenable in the modern ears. But if you give it up, if you say, Kevin, you're full of crap and I'm not going that way, you won't give up sacrificing. Trust me, you will sacrifice the other side as well. You won't get away from it. When we desire hiding more than healing, we sacrifice the transformed version of ourselves that our marriage is designed to bring about. That's a mutation. It's a tiny infidelity to the true self. And very few people kind of point that out, not even our pastors and teachers who should know better. But this is what Jesus said when he says divorce and then remarriage makes us adulterers in Matthew 19.9. is basically saying that if it's not supposed to be that way. Like if you actually work with love, you don't violate yourself. You don't adulterize, adulterate your own marriage and self. You don't forfeit that redeemed version of yourself. But, you know, because of your sclerocardia that we talked about last week, that uncircumcised heart, that part where you have this overgrowth that's preventing your inner self from becoming, then, you know, Moses granted you the divorce. It wasn't supposed to be that way. And that's why if you go out and you try it all over again, you're just going to be another adulterer because you're, you have an infidelity to the true self, which the marriage can produce. Does that make sense? You know, 1 Peter 4, 8 says, above all, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Love covers a multitude of sins. Now, just think about this. Your love is to cover the sins of your beloved. It's not to be repugnant to them. It's not to reject them. You didn't marry somebody perfect. You didn't marry somebody ideal. You married a sinner, just like I did. And this is why I can say, where, like I said in the first prompt, like my wife could come to me and tell me she did the most horrible thing. And I, it would not change the trajectory of our marriage. I would receive it. I would embrace her. And I would love her through it all. I know you think that I'm full of crap. I'm absolutely serious with that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, infidelity. Yeah. If she came and said, hey, I had an affair. It's like, that's okay. Does that make me weak and a pushover and a flimsy or what? Nope. This is what makes our marriage so great and what I'm inviting you to consider as well. See, love is not an emotion. It's, it's an act of the will. It's not how you feel. It's not that tingly feeling when you get those, you know, nice romantic songs going where you'd slow dance at the dark <laughs> lights at Skate City. <laughs> when the slow song comes on, <laughs> that's, that's not love. And we won't love because we just don't want to. 
That's what it comes down to. Because love means to die to yourself. It means you can't be in control. You forfeit. You defer control. Ah, that's just no way, Kevin. You're, that's stupid. We are afraid of losing ourselves, So we hold back to avoid getting hurt, don't we? Like I told you, love is a guillotine. And you put your head in your beloved's guillotine and hand them the rope. And then they put theirs in your guillotine and they hand you the rope. So that's what love is. But that is how we forfeit the redeemed or true version of ourself is we just, I'm not putting my head in that thing. Kevin, what you're suggesting is how you get hurt in a relationship. Don't you understand? You're supposed to hold back. You're supposed to be guarded. You don't show all your cards. You keep secrets. You, you, don't, you don't let people into that painful part. Don't you understand? If you do, they're going to reject you. They're going to hurt you, yes, because they don't know how to love. They're broken too. But two people who finally kind of understand this and are daring enough to go in and trust one another, and trust, again, isn't something the other person has to earn. Trust is something you give, despite whether they can earn it or not. That's what love does. And you get this model from the vertical, from the way God relates to us. And then that's how we are to love each other. In Luke 9, Jesus says, What does it profit a person if he or she gains the whole world and loses or forfeits themselves? Like, do you see this? Like, if you play by the cards and the propaganda of the world— And you hold back and you self-rely and you become independent and you do all the things you want to do to make yourself great and powerful and healthy and all this stuff. And you gain the whole world in the process, but you forfeit the redeemed part of yourself because you can't actually be in a marriage. (laughs) It's like, what, what do you really gain? You've gained nothing. You're still the small, stuck person who thinks you are on the throne of your life. You've never learned to die to yourself. That's not a person who's progressing. I'm sorry to tell you. John 13, 34, Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. When Jesus talks about his love for it, it was acceptance It was inclusion, and it was complete self-sacrifice. He died to himself for the sake of his beloved. And so this is where we get this idea of we die to ourselves. We forsake our own things, our wills, our wants, our dreams, our passions for the sake of the other. Well, Kevin, that's very risky. Like if... If I do that, I'm falling back into like the 50s where women had to give up their whole lives for, for their husbands and their kids. And they didn't even get a career because they were stuck at home in these dependent relationships. And we've come too far for that. And that may be true in some form or another. But you're not hearing what I'm saying. You're resisting. Most of us are simply too self-centered. We're too focused on what we want, our needs our plans, our agenda, our goals to ever experience true love. Did you hear me? If you are focused on you, true love will never be an experience you enjoy.
And despite a world that likes to talk so much about love and have movies and songs and everything else, very few of us have any guides to show us the way. Like, Hollywood's not going to show you true love. Uh, Your psychologist is not going to show you what true love looks like. Uh, Your university is certainly not going to get you there. Most of your parents can't get you there. Your pastors and preachers, they they all have crappy marriages and want to consign you to a crappy marriage too in some kind of weird hierarchy where women are oppressed or men are somehow the final answer. (laughs) It's... You and I know we kind of, our BS detector goes off and all of that. It kind of makes us cringe. And so who's the guide? Who's going to get you there? Is it supposed to be some sappy, you know, marriage retreat? See, our intrinsically selfish pseudonym must die. And marriage is the place that the independent, selfish person takes up their cross and follows in the footsteps of the one who led who was led to slaughter. To the blind, this looks absolutely horrifying. I'm speaking nonsense. This is insanity. Luke 9.23 says, If anyone would come after me, this is Jesus talking, says, let him or her deny him or herself and take up their cross daily and follow me. Like, if you want a good marriage... It's going to require sacrifice. But if you ignore a good marriage, you're going to sacrifice on the other side too. Let me just tell you a quick story. When Kimberly and I were in our early stages of marriage, on occasionally we'd get into an argument, as couples do. And I was always obsessed with being right. My arguments were logical. They were linear. I left emotion out of it. And I would build my case. And it would get stronger and stronger as she would multiply the points of the discussion. And in my head, I was winning. But in my marriage, I was losing. And one day, in her wisdom and her love for me, she said, Kev, did it ever occur to you that I just needed you to hold me, to comfort me, reassure me that we're good? I remember in that moment, I didn't want to go over there and hug her. I was kind of... I need you to tell me I'm right, to validate me, to prove that my case was, she wasn't in it to win it, but I was. I didn't want to go over there and be loving. And this is our window into how you might be acting. You may not want love any more than I did. But with one tiny act of the will, I went to her and I held her. And what I thought was a gesture for her sake was her loving me back into our love story. When I held her, I just, I just melted. We sobbed. It was so good to be reconnected. And I had lost it because I had to be right. She loved me back into us. And she's done it countless times in our marriage. Many, many times in many different ways. She's a very wise, loving woman. And this foolish part of me died as I learned to move toward love and not hide from it. Being right is a way of hiding. And this new me emerged out of the ashes of the death of the old me. That's the metaphor. That's the pattern. This is what marriage does. And now, 27 years later, I try and hold her every single day that I can. I come up behind her and I give her a hug. I 
greet her every morning and we hug. We hug at night before we go to sleep. Like I hold her every day. In that moment, we try and reconnect and she gets it. It takes us a fraction of a second to find each other. But our whole lives is this finding our love again, moment by moment in these tiny little reconnections that are absolutely huge. So, you know, Galatians 5.13 says, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. I mean, think about that. Don't use your freedom to make yourself bigger. Instead, serve, lay down your life, give it away. That's the model that love gives us. So I'm going to ask you some questions to help you see this kind of another way. Are you familiar with any examples of self-sacrificing love? Maybe your mom, your dad, a loved one, a grandma, aunt, or friend. And if so, have you tried to emulate it? And if not, what is your what are you basing your understanding of love upon? Like if you don't see self-sacrificing love, what is it that tells you what love is? How would you even know it? Second, would you give up everything you possess or have worked for or hope to get in life for the sake of your spouse? And if not, what things are more important to you than love? See, if if you lost every single thing you have, all your 401k, all your savings, your house, your cars, your jobs, your lives, your health, but you still had each other, would it be enough? You see, if these three questions seem like a rom-com flavored dose of sentimentality, you don't get it. I am inviting you to explore what part of you doesn't actually want the healing and why. Like, how is your life propped up by transmitting your pain rather than transforming it? Like, what, what is so good about what you have? Like, really, that makes you think you need to just hold on to it instead of find somebody who you can share it with. And those of you who know love, you know that these questions immediately reveal that they're non-issues. <laughs> like, in the flow of self-emptying love... If your beloved shares the same high view of love, it's obvious they would never seek their own interests above yours. Never. <laughs> Nor would you theirs. Like 1 Corinthians 13 says, love does not seek its own way. This is our clue about how to heal every problem in our marriage. Everything the world says is a big problem immediately. And I mean immediately becomes a non-issue when we live from and toward love. Like it vaporizes. It's not that big. You were told it was a big problem. You thought you needed a big solution. It's not. You got a little solution, but it's going to be, you're going to have to die to apply it. Every wound can begin healing in less than five minutes if you want it to. But you have to die to get there. Do you want it? See, relationship hell is real. Trust me, folks, I've lived it. I've been through a divorce. I've had horrible marriage, okay? I know exactly the pain you're feeling. And it's a living hell. And you're in the living hell if you or your spouse will not love. So you can either distract yourself, avoid, you can medicate, 
or you can leave. But none of these are really great options for you. Now, you can stay in your marriage and hold back. You can hide. You can ignore. Uh, you know, don't actually preserve us. You don't actually have to go through any of this. You can just find some negotiated way to live without love, and many of you do. But you're going to cause yourself to be lost in the process. Maybe that's okay. Maybe the trade is worth it because you get some sense of security. You get some sense of validation or acceptance or social status or something. See, whether we, either go, whether we go all in or just settle for something comfortable, we all lose something of ourselves. So let's ask ourselves, how do I handle my spouse's unredeemed parts? Because I know in the back of your head, you're thinking, Kevin, this doesn't work because you don't know my spouse. You know what they did to me? Do you know what the kind of person they are? Do you understand what I have to deal with? Do I get offended by them? Do I judge them? Do I blame and get all upset at the things they do? See, if compassionately receiving them is untenable to you, I have to inform you, the large problem is not your spouse. It's the overgrowth on your heart. It's the sclerocardia, the hardness of heart that you have. It's you who doesn't want love because you don't want love with that thing, that person. But you think that thing they're doing is the person. That thing they're doing is the pain the person's there. And it's your job as the spouse, as the beloved, to receive that pain and to help heal it. Not to condemn it, judge it, stand off, and insist they fix it before you make yourself available emotionally or any other way. So I know it takes two people to follow the flow of work. And I'm going to address those options and another podcast in this series. Uh, especially if you're living that living divorce like I talked about in episode one. But until then, we can do our best to understand this counterintuitive way of love and how it heals every issue in our marriage. And if you're not sure where to start, I just invite you to maybe listen to this again. Invite your spouse to listen to it again and start a conversation. Say, do you think this guy is off his rocker or do you think this is even possible? And so let me leave you with this, folks. Now that you have a complete solution that is small and it's within your power to change today, my question to you is, what will you do with that? (laughs) And may God bless you as you contemplate these things.